this week, Acts 19, and I'm going to start reading in just verses 8 through 10. And then, uh, then we're going to go out from there. It says, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them, taking the disciples and conducting discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you illuminate it for us today. Uh, Lord, that you take the, the poverty of my remarks and translate it to each heart as we would have need. Lord, that we find encouragement in your word. We find comfort in your word. Uh, we, we find admonition and exhortation in your word as we incline our ear to what you would say. And Lord, we ask that you unite our heart as we sit in your presence. Unite our heart uh, under affection for you. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last week, um, Paul, one of God's missionaries, was in Corinth, right? The Corinthian church. And we saw him working hard after he moved in. He's working hard, preaching Jesus, uh, dealing with failure, seeing great gains for the kingdom. And the Lord told him, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm still with you. Keep speaking. No one here is going to harm you because I have many in this city. And then after he left Corinth, he went briefly to Ephesus. He passed through there. He spoke a little bit. Uh, they asked him to stay longer and he, he declined moving on, but he left Priscilla and Aquila there. And this is where we'll pick up in chapter 19 is Paul coming back to Ephesus. Uh, but I want to start this morning before we get into that with uh, a little bit of a science experiment. Now, I didn't vet, it's not a real big science experiment, and I didn't vet it with any of my scientists. So if they're watching this later and I've messed up any of the talk on it, please be gracious in that. Hopefully the, the meaning will come through. But it, it's very basic. I want us to think about this cup right here. This cup is full. It's full of all the gases that are in this room, right? It's got oxygen, carbon dioxide, nitrogen, all that kinds of stuff. Those gases are in here. And our experiment, or what I want us to try to figure out, is how to get those gases that, are, that this is full of out of here. How are we gonna get them out of here? I could turn it upside down. Doesn't really help. I could even cap it off. They're still in there. I could go get some type of a lid and some type of a vacuum and, and, and try to get everything out of there, create an actual vacuum in here. But that's really not going to work, is it? As far as getting all of those gases out of this cup. How are we going to get them out? And this is something that we run into in our life. There are things in our life. Say, if this cup is our life, there are things in our life that we don't want in there. There are things in our life that we don't like being in there. Parts of us that we dislike because we know what the result of them are. And 
we try to get them out. And we just can't do it. So how are we gonna get all the gases that are in this room out of that glass? We're gonna find that answer in Ephesus, in the city of Ephesus. And that's where we are in chapter 19. Paul goes back to Ephesus. Where Priscilla and Aquila are, he goes back there and he starts, where does he go first? He goes to the synagogue. He goes to where the worshipers of the God of the Old Testament are. Because that's going to be the best first audience to, to learn that Jesus is the Messiah. And he stays there in the synagogue going in and out uh, for a few months. And then he comes up against some friction, right? It says there were some who were resistant. There were some who became uh, active against him. And so what did he do? He took all the disciples and he went to the lecture hall of Tyrannus, which basically I think is just like a classroom setting. A place that was secular, but that would welcome him and that he could get space in to talk about the things of the Lord. And now this is, again, Ephesus, which you, you know in the Bible. There's the letter to the Ephesians, the book of Ephesians in your New Testament. That's the letter to the church at Ephesus. It was one of the main cities in the Roman province of Asia. Don't think of Asia as you know it with the continent, but the Roman province of Asia. It was set on the mouth of a river. It was a free city, and it had a famous temple in it to uh, the, the goddess, the false god, Artemis. That's who was worshipped in Ephesus. And again, Paul came before, talked to him, declined to stay longer. He's come back now. He's been in the synagogue for three months. Then he kind of gets run out of there. Paul gets run out of a lot of places. And then he goes to the lecture hall of Tyrannus where he, he ministered, according to verse 10, for two years. Two years, what? Teaching Jesus to the disciples, to the learners in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. They, they, they're hearing, according to this, all the residents, both Jew and Greek, heard the word of the Lord. I don't want you to miss that timeline. Two years and, and some months that he is there in Ephesus, speaking, proclaiming Jesus, living amongst the people, loving on them, teaching them, training them up in the way. That's what it calls it. The, the way we call Christianity, but the, the way of who? Of, of Jesus. Every day he's there. And you look at some of the things that were happening because of that in verse 11 and 12. We're going to get back to our cup in a minute. You can keep, you keep thinking on that. God was performing, verse 11, God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands so that even face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them. And the evil spirits came out of them. So God is, God who is rich in mercy, is continuing to confirm the gospel by signs, wonders, and miracles. He's demonstrating that the power that resides in his Messiah, in Jesus, is also evident through the hands of Paul. Amen? This is part of what he does. He's confirming the gospel as it's going forth, specifically in the city of Ephesus, where superstition and occult practices were widespread and deeply entrenched. You see both of those occult practices or the idea that we can control nature and the environment around us if we just learn how. If we just take up the, the, the spells or, or, or the combinations of how to do it. And that was deeply entrenched in Ephesus. And so what, what's God the Father doing? He's demonstrating that the power and the authority of Jesus is over and above everything else. It's over and above everything 
else. Above all others, he's doing this in this foreign land. Again, which occult practices, superstition, widespread and deeply entrenched. I actually wrote down the definition of occult. It's involving the action or influence of supernatural or supernormal powers or some secret knowledge of them. You've noticed that, right? That, that, that folks that claim to have some type of secret knowledge, oh, you're not going to believe this, right? This will help you control your life. This will help you control the world around you. And you can see how we still have some of that going on today, just under a different name, right? But that, this was deep in Ephesus, and God is, is using Paul to prove that Jesus, the Messiah, holds the power and he holds the authority. You look at some of these amazing things that were happening at the hands of Paul. And remember, we talked about it last week. What's he actually doing? He's showing up every day talking about Jesus, working uh, with his hands in the community. He's a part of the community that he's in, and yet the Lord is using him mightily. And so then we have verse 13 and 14 that kind of give us a better view into what's actually going on in Ephesus, what kind of environment it was. It says, now some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this itinerant Jewish exorcists. You don't see that listed on Indeed. But that was their job. It's what they did. They, itinerant means that they went, they went around doing it. They, they traveled around doing it. They were itinerant Jewish exorcists. And they're going about, and look at what they, what they attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those with evil spirits. And again, you can see just kind of the environment in Ephesus. They, they, they see, hey, Paul is preaching Jesus and all these things are happening. We, we need to get in on that. We need to become a part of that, but not as a follower. We want to use it as a part of what we were already doing. We want, we want Jesus to come along what we're already doing instead of joining up with him. And we've talked about that. That's always going to present problems when we try to do it that way. But this is the environment that you have in Ephesus, that people are actually doing this. And, and they want to leverage the name of Jesus because they recognize that it has power. And they've seen that work through Paul. And it says there were seven sons of a man named Sceva who were doing this and that he was a Jewish high priest. And I question that because where are they? They're in Ephesus. Where are the Jewish high priests? Jerusalem, where the temple is, but not in Ephesus. So that leads me, Stephen, to conclude that maybe Sceva has made some false claims about who he is about his authority, about his level, right? And then his boys are going about itinerant Jewish exorcists, seven sons of Sceva. Now look what they did. It says they, they, they're going to try this. They're going to try pronouncing the name of Jesus over evil spirits and expect them to respond. Seven sons of Sceva, Jewish high priest, were doing this. Verse 15, the evil spirit answered them, when, what, when they said, we command you by the, name, by the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus and I recognize Paul, but who are you? And the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all and prevailed against them so that they ran out of that house naked and wounded. So notice first, two, two, two big things to notice here. Number one, the spirit's answer. The evil spirits answer when they said, we command you 
in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. And the Spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I've heard of. Paul I've heard of. Can you just think what it's like to have your name mentioned in that context? That an evil spirit would say, Jesus I know, and this Paul we're starting to hear stuff about. Like his name is made it into our, 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 our environment. We're starting to hear stuff about him. Isn't that what you want to be said of you? In a way that's causing them trouble. It's not like saying, hey, we, we know Paul. He's with us. We like that guy. He's great. He, he helps us get done what we're trying to get done. No. I said, Jesus we know and Paul we've heard of. But who are you? You have no authority. And then what happened, it, the, the second thing you notice, it was the fullness of the whipping that these guys took. I'm talking about when you go into a fight with clothes on and you come out of the fight without your clothes on. <laughs> nobody ever said, well, that guy won that fight. Which one? The naked one. He won it. I mean, you got just, just pick, and, and, and you know, we, we can laugh. It's a serious thing, an evil spirit. You, again, we, we, we can get into this more when we talk about it on, on Wednesday night, and I'm sure there'll be some question box questions come up out of things like that when we talk about things in the spiritual realm, but it is real, completely real, and someone who is demonized can have supernormal strength. Above normal strength, you hear reports of that small children exhibiting the strength of a full grown adult in those situations. And he just beat the tar out of seven guys, whipped them and sent them out naked. The fullness of that whipping caused people to notice. And the other thing we'll talk about in, in when we get to it in Bible study is should this story be of concern for believers? Should this story concern a Believer, but th so that's what's happened in 16. They're trying to leverage Jesus's name, which isn't theirs, as authority for themselves, and they get completely whooped trying to do it. And you look at verse 17. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, now if there's one thing you don't want to happen when you get whipped so bad you go away naked, it's for everybody to find out about it. But that's what happened to them. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. When this became known, people became afraid, but the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. So what, what became known? I believe one, one thing that became known is Jesus is Lord and you cannot co-opt his name. Jesus is Lord, you cannot co-opt his name. And then look at the Result, what, what came about from that, we're going to see in verse 18 and 19. What was the result? They see others trying to use the name of Jesus and it not being anything like when Paul uses the name of Jesus. They know the name of Jesus has power. And they see those who are just trying to co-opt and put it along with what they already do, falling also underneath of it. And they're like, this name is above the other names. This God is above the other gods. And many who had become believers, how did they become believers? Through Paul being there for a couple years, preaching, teaching, talking about the kingdom and the way. Many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices. 
while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the word of the Lord flourished and prevailed. So seeing this and seeing once again that the name of Jesus is above every name, Paul had preached it to them. They had believed it in their heart. and They're seeing it played out in the world in front of them. It said believers came and began to disclose their practices and not just confess to the fact that we were walking in witchcraft. We were walking in the occult. That's what I was doing. But what the, the other thing they were actually doing when this happened is they were saying all of their secret things that they, they were doing in private that they thought was going to give them control over the environment. If they had these spells, if they had these incantations, uh, if you ever said it aloud in front of other people, if it was known in their understanding, their superstition, if you said it out loud and other people heard it, then it lost its power. And so when they began to disclose these practices, what they're actually saying is, I'm never going to use this again. This has no power, and I don't mind telling you about it. And they burned all the books that went along with the occult practices. Why? Because they found something that was greater than what they had. And it says that it was up to 50,000 pieces of silver. We could convert that to modern uh, currency, but just know it would be a heck of a lot. A heck of a lot of money represented that they had invested time and energy and finances in this. And they brought that, and they burned them. Why? No value. And I don't ever want to touch this again. I don't want anybody else to ever try to use this again. Why? Because it doesn't work. It brought uh, evil to me and Jesus brings good. It's an amazing scene. And it says in this way, the word of the Lord flourished and prevailed. Amazing scene. And, and the fruit of consistent ministry in that area. If you just read this part, you can think, man, that was a really wild day. That was a really big day there in Ephesus. But it was really the result of years of fruitful ministry of the body working in that area. Amen? So back to the cup. Back to the cup. What does it teach us about the gases in the cup? Got to get them out. Don't want them in there. How do we get them out? What you learn reading in the book of Acts about the church at Ephesus is that our focus can be displaced. When we're asking the question, how do we get them out? We may be asking the wrong question. The right question to ask is, what am I going to put in their place? What am I going to put in their place? What am I going to replace them with? Because when I fill it with something else, what am I doing? I'm expelling everything else that's in there. That's the way you get them out, is by filling it with something else. Something else that's going to push them out. Something else that's going to expel them out of there. And we see that in Ephesus. They were ridding themselves of the lesser because they had found the better. And we see it in our own lives. So when, I, when I was reading this and studying this, a, a phrase just came up in, in my memory, and I guess just because it was so uh, unique, I hadn't heard it before, and I think what it was is the title of an old, old sermon called uh, The Expulsive Power of New Affections. 
And I think it stuck out because I don't use words like that, expulsive. The expulsive power of new affections. When you expel some, someone from school, what are you doing? You're pushing them out. You can't be here anymore. And so the expulsive power of new affections is showing when, when you love something new, it can push out the old. And you, you don't get fixated on how do I get rid of the old if you're full of the new, right? Because you only have so much real estate. You only have so much real estate in your body, in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit, your soul. You only have so much room in there. And, and, and you'll realize really quick if, if you think about it how new affections push out old things. Why? Because you've only got so much room. And one of the perfect examples that I thought of on this uh, as I was studying was my brother Matthew. Oh, look out. He was like, well, we have my attention. Kelly said, should you really say that? I was like, it's not bad about Matthew. Matthew exhibited this so much, especially since the time he was young. When Matthew was in on something, he was all in on that. And everything else would get pushed out to the side. He, He would be able to just go all in on something. One example, from when we were younger, we would play this uh, video game on the PlayStation called Tekken. Some of y'all might have played it. It's just one of those fighting games. One person fighting against another with the little characters on there. And Matthew is years younger than me and also younger than Andrew. And so he wasn't as good at it as we were. Matthew decided in himself, however, that he was going to go all in. I'm going to learn. He would, we, you know, then you couldn't just look stuff up, you know, online or whatever. You had to go buy the book at Walmart and look, re, research like here's all these moves. And if you string this together, that person will have no defense for it. And you can just whip them. And he learned them all. He memorized them all so he could just trounce us. And now in that he had to give away attention that would have gone to other things. Right. He was solely focused on that. And you would see that, and we would, we would talk about that, just our family in general. We would go through little different phases where we would get into something, and we would be all into that. You know, so Matthew probably comes by some of it genetically, probably from our, our father. And then Andrew and I got a, got a little bit of it. But, but you would see that whenever he would take something up, he would be all in on that. For a little while, it was golf. And then I have his golf clubs at my house now. They've been pushed out of the way. <laughs> by the next thing, you know, it, hunting. Guns. When guns came in, it pushed everything else out. He wasn't looking up how to win the video game at that point. I found something much more powerful and interesting to me. Right? Shooting cars. You know, he was it, motorcycle. You know, all, hey, motorcycle. We're all in a motorcycle. We, he, he would know all about it. He would have all. He would have magazines. He would be looking up stuff on it. He would know more about it. I'm not. He is just a great example of that because when he's in, he's all in. Now something happened about eight or nine years ago. When he met Ashley, I saw a lot of other things get pushed out (laughs) by the new affection, right? Some of those other things that he was very, very interested in, he's like, I don't know nothing about that anymore. I have something else that's garnered my attention and my affection. And so it's moving other things down or completely off the list. Now, that's not saying, can, can you love your wife and still have a hobby? Absolutely, you can Absolutely you can. You just have to understand that your loves are ordered, right? And, and they need to be ordered rightly. And so, so we saw that, uh, that you know, she, she comes along and pushed aside some of those other things that, that he used to have a great amount of affection for. And my goodness, then nephew gets here and the motor, he don't even have the motorcycle anymore. 
<laughs> Motorcycles got to go. Rhett's coming, right? Rhett is here. And, and the really cool thing about that is Rhett comes, he doesn't love Ashley less. The affection for Rhett doesn't push the love for Ashley out. Why? Because those two are complementary. They can go together. It actually pushes it up. It actually pushed it up. And since he's got his loves ordered correctly, God's at the top. And both of those are complementing that. It just rolls up in worship together. But, but I love how good of an example he was about um, the expulsive power of new affections. If something was contradictory to the new affection, it would get pushed out. If it was complementary to the new affection, it would just lift everything else and even increase capacity there, which is pretty amazing. And there's a little bit of a mystery there to it about compounding affections. But, but, but you see that in the, in the church of Ephesus, in the people of Ephesus, as they become believers, their affection grew for Jesus and for the way and for his kingdom. And everything that was contrary to that began to be pushed out just naturally. Just as they would pursue Jesus, the other things are, are being pushed out. Amen. And that's how God changes people is with new affections. You're never going to win somebody over by bringing them in and go, you can't do this. You got to get rid of this. You got to get you got to get all these gases out of your empty cup. Got to get them all out. And they're going to sit there looking at you and looking at their cup. And go, how in the world am I supposed to do that? How do I get these out of here? I can't I can't do it. But it's with the power of a new it's filling with something else. If you lead them into the new affection, it will take care of the rest. It will take care of the rest. Old habits, it's hard to just break an old habit. What do you have to do? You have to form a new one. Old habits are pushed out by new ones. You can't just say, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to stop doing that. Because let me tell you what, nature hates a vacuum. And not a Hoover like you clean the floor with. I'm talking a vacuum where, where there's, there's nothing there. Nature rushes to fill every empty space. That's what it does. It, it cannot handle that. That's why you, you, you cannot create a vacuum easily. A true vacuum with just nothing. You can't do it. Why? Because everything wants to, to, to fill it. Everything wants to move in there. So if you're wanting to get rid of this habit that is destructive or harmful to you, you can't just stop it. You have to start something else. It has to be pushed out by something else. You can't just want it to be gone and it be gone. Does that make sense? And, you, and you've seen that. You know that. When you just say, I'm going to stop doing that. If you don't replace it with something better, something stronger, a new affection to push it to the side, it's not going to do it. That's the way that it works. You have to replace it with something new. If you want to empty the gases out of the cup, you have to fill it with something else. It's just like that, that, the old song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Amen. That's the new affection pushing out the old. So the question isn't how do you empty it? Because you don't actually want to be empty. What did Jesus say? You get an evil spirit out of there and you don't put something else in there. What's going to happen? It's going to come back. And say, hey, it's swept in here. It's nice. Moving back in. Why? Because nothing, his authority pushed it out, but no new affection came in to take up the space. And so the old comes right back in. The old that you were delivered out of comes right back in. The old that you were brought, that, that, that he miraculously delivered you from, comes right back in. Why? Because you didn't fill it with anything new. And so you see in Ephesus, 
You don't want to be empty. You want to be full of something better. You want to be full of something better. And the church at Ephesus is fascinating. Look at how he went there and you, you see just these amazing supernatural things happening. It, it upset. We, we, we won't have time to go into it today. Uh, we, we'll get there when we go to talking about it in Bible study. But in verse 21 through, through the end of the chapter, he, he details a riot that happened in the city because the people who made their money off of occultism and wickedness were, were going bankrupt. All the people that made idols got together and had a meeting. They were like, what are we going to do about this guy, Paul, who keeps preaching Jesus? Everybody's listening to him. And now all of a sudden they think that these things that we make aren't God's at all. What are we going to do? And there was a riot by them because they're like, you're taking away our livelihood. Wouldn't it be awesome if the drug dealers were rioting in the street because they couldn't make money anymore? Wouldn't it be great if, they had to move, if all the traffickers had to move out of town because there wasn't a market there anymore, that it dried up. That's what you saw in Ephesus. Christ's effect on even a local economy. They couldn't make money anymore off of occultism and wicked practices. The expulsive power of a new affection, pushing out the old. It's amazing. And yet, it comes with a caution, even for the church at Ephesus. One of our verses that we go back to a lot, especially Kipper and I when we're talking, is in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, where it says, don't be drunk with wine, that'll ruin your life. Or don't be drunk with wine, that'll lead to reckless living. Don't be a drunk, it's going to hurt you. But, and I'm not going to preach on it today, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now those two things don't have a whole lot in common, do they? Being drunk, being filled with the Spirit. But he says, be, be filled with the Spirit. Or be being filled with the Spirit. Not just one time, because look, again, I don't have my scientists here. But if I take this cup and I just leave it here, just leave it right there, what's going to happen? Over time, the level of that water is going to go down. It may take a lot longer in here than if we set it outside. If we set it outside, it's going to happen quicker. Why? Because it's going to evaporate. It's going to be gone. And the gases are moving back in. And Paul's telling them, stay full. Stay full of the Spirit. And I like it how he connected. I said, I'm going to teach on it. Here we go. Just a second. He says, don't be drunk with wine. That'll ruin your life. How do you get drunk? One drink at a time. One drink at a time. How do you stay full of the Spirit? One, one, one sip at a time. He says, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, building each other up. This is how you're going to stay filled with the Spirit. Why? Because he knew that just like these new affections can push out the old, something else can come in. If you don't stay full, things can come back in and the levels can change and you can drift to where you're now majority gases instead of majority liquid, where you're the where you're majority environment of the world and minority of the spirit. And he brought this to their attention. He wrote that to them. The book of Ephesians written by Paul to the church at Ephesus after this point in time. Be continually filled. Why? Because if you don't, something else is going to start filling in the gaps. Something else is going to start filling in the gaps. And his church at Ephesus, fascinating. The last we hear of them is in the book of Revelation. The last we hear of them is the book of Revelation in chapter 2. I'm going to turn there. I think I made a little, I've got too many bookmarks. 
Revelation chapter 2. He says, write this to the church at Ephesus. Verse 2, I know your works, your labor and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and they're not, and you found them to be liars. And I know that you persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name and have not grown weary. Pretty good resume so far. I know your works. You're doing good things. You can't tolerate evil. When people lie, you call them out on it. When they say they're of me and they're not, you call them out on it. You won't tolerate it. I know you've persevered. You've endured hardships for the sake of my name and you've not grown weary. Verse 4, but I have this against you. This one thing I have against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. You had substituted a new affection. Something else is sitting at the top. And your love for me, what happens? Is being pushed out. Is being pushed out. What does he tell them? Remember then how far you've fallen. Repent, change the way you think, and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. He's saying, you're doing great. You've done great. You've done great things, church. It's been amazing. He said, but this one thing I have against you, your levels have dropped. You hadn't stayed full. And now your affections are shifting to other things. And your love for me, why? Because contrary pushes out contrary. Complimentary brings up, he's saying, you're bringing in other stuff. That's the one thing that I have against you. That you've abandoned your first love for something else. Because again, new affections expel the old ones. They take the space from them. And so even the amazing church at Ephesus with miraculous things happening, they still had to be told, stay full. Stay full. Hey, you burned all your stuff. That's awesome. You didn't need that stuff anyway. Hey, you disclosed all your practices. Awesome. You didn't need those. Those were, those were tearing you apart. They were lies from the pit of hell. They, they were telling you you could control your environment through your own strength and through this secret knowledge. It was all lies and it was going to harm you and hurt you and pull you even further away from God. I, I'm glad you got rid of those. You got to stay full. Because just that by itself happening, even though, again, the economy of the city was changed so significantly that the people who made their money off of wickedness rioted in the streets because their hope of income was diminished. And yet they still had to be warned. Stay full. Stay full. And then we hear in, in Revelation, maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't stay full the way they were told. And he was saying, Remember what you did at first. Repent and come back to your first love. Who's your first love? It's him. It's him. He is our first love. Well, I was in sin first, but you knew he was your love. Even if you weren't close to him, you knew he was there. Even if you weren't following him, you knew that there, there's only one thing that can satisfy. And I ain't found it yet. He is our first love. He's the one that will expel everything else. When we focus on, I got to get rid of this. I got to do better here. I got I to get this out of my life. It's not by willpower and moving it out. That is good. You need to have some of that in you, some knowledge and things that go along the way. But if he's not taken over as your ultimate affection, it's not going to matter what all willpower and strength you put towards it. He has to be uppermost in our affections. 
because then that pushes out everything else that's contrary to Him, which is what we want. That's what we all want. When we have that new affection, we no longer want the old because now we have the new. And this is how God changes us and moves those things out of us that that are harmful, moves those things out of our life that that are going to be detrimental to us. Why? Because they're not like Him. So the more of Him that there is, the less of those things that there are. New affections expel other things. And it can work in the negative for us if we put our affections on the wrong thing. I mean, how many, how many marriages have gotten blown up because the man of the house put his affections somewhere that they shouldn't have been? And maybe not another person. You know, you can't you put it on another person. Hey, it's going to push out your affection for your wife and your kids, and you're, you're going to move this away. Sometimes it's just work. If I put my affections on work above the family, it's going to push them out too. Again, doesn't mean you can't have a job and a family. It just means you have to have things ordered the right way. And you have to understand first that things are ordered in your heart. What we, we had the definition. It came from uh, Augustine. I think Augustine wrote it. That the essence of sin is just disordered love. It's loving things out of order. It's putting love for one thing way above where it should actually be. The essence of sin is just disordered love. And so you can see, yes, it'll, Christ will expel everything else. But if you let a new affection, a contrary affection, become uppermost in your heart and your mind and your attention, it's going to push your love for Him down and out. doesn't make Him less than what He is. He's still high and lifted up. But it does take him in your life, your experience of Him in your life, and eliminate it. Eliminate it. For you, it will be like He doesn't exist when you push Him out. And you don't want to be in this on your own. He told Ephesus, be filled. Continue being filled with the Spirit, this life with me. Stay drinking it in. Go to the places where you're at so you stay Full. And if you miss it, repent and return to that first love. S- keep monitoring your life and your affections and notice when they get out of order. One of the biggest ways you'll notice it is your reaction to situations. How you react will usually demonstrate for you where your affection is placed. Just a little barometer there. I'm wrapping up. Return to your first love. Even if you didn't know that you knew him, he is preeminent. And that new affection for him has expulsive power. It will push out those other things. And don't turn back. They, they, they cut off avenues. They say, we're going to disclose these practices. I can't even use it anymore. I'm going to burn this book. I can't even go back. There's not another copy. I'm burning this book. Why? Because I know that I will be tempted to believe in it again. I'll be tempted to turn to something lesser from the greater because it's within my control. And I'll forget that the way of it brought me to destruction, the way of it brought me to need salvation in the first place. I want to cut it off. That's why Paul goes into that language about kill sin. Take it serious. New affection will expel old things. And we want to pay attention to them. What's at the top? 
What's pushing out everything else? And how can I stay full of Him? How can I stay full of Him? He's made it real simple. He is exactly where He said He would be. He is always exactly where He said He would be. I don't ever want to hear Chris. Oh, I'm just trying to find Jesus. Jesus is exactly where He said He would be. He's in here, right? He's in the Scripture. When we gather together as the body of Christ, He's here. When we, ser when we serve together, He's here. What do He say? As you've done unto the least of these, you've done to me. That means He's there. He's there. In our prayer, in our prayer time, corporate and individual, He's there. Worship, corporate and individual, He's there. And if you look at all of those practices, the good and right practices and disciplines of life, it renews our minds so that we continue to think the right way. It builds our faith and we stay filled with the Spirit. So when other affections try to creep in, they start off at such a small level, we can just spat them out of the way. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the church at Ephesus. Thank you for the magnificent work that you did there, that we still talk about it today. Lord, thank you for the many men and women and children that came to know you through the faithful preaching of Jesus amongst them. Lord, who saw miraculous things happen. Who saw others try to stand up and put themselves equal with your name without having a relationship with you. They, they were embarrassed and put to shame. But your name was revered. Your name held power in that place. And I think that it'll be the same amongst us. Lord, that our affections, just like the affections of the Ephesians, will push out those old things, those old practices, the things that we would have turned to in lieu of turning to you, that we would have turned to instead of you, thinking that they held the answer to us controlling our environment and our life, knowing, Lord, that you alone are high and lifted up. And Father, for, for an opportunity to look into our affections and ask you if we've gotten them out of order, we don't want anything to be above you. And I thank you that when you are uppermost in our affections and nothing else exceeds that, then everything else benefits. Everything else that's good and right in our life will benefit from that. And everything that's contrary to you will begin to be pushed out because there's only so much room. And we want you to fill it up. Help us to be disciplined in our lives to stay filled with you, to meet you in the places where you said that you would be and to take the time, to take the time with you knowing that it, there's no one else like you. There is no one else like you. And to not be focused on how do we get the negative out when we've been given opportunity to bring the positive in, to bring that affection for you Lord, and just like Matthew, we're in with you and we're all in with you. You're above everything else. And Lord, forgive us for when you weren't. We repent and we come back. And I thank you for receiving us graciously and mercifully when we do that. As we get ready to go today, Lord, I thank you that we go out in peace and unity with each other. Care for us. Tend to us as only you can. And Lord, all these things coming up this week, I pray that you be glorified. 
I pray that those who are in our community would feel your love through our hands and our feet and our doings. Lord, it's just simple stuff. We could do it on our own, but you're able to take it and make it be so much more, so much more to the hearers and the receivers because we're doing it in your name, the name that's high and lifted up, and that your name will be revered here just as it was in Ephesus because of your church, because your people are taken into the streets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.